you know, the, the country is in turmoil and we're all dealing with a kind of, we're all living through historical trauma. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason, and on today's episode, we have one of the greatest supporters of Mental Health Association Oklahoma, Dr. Al Carlozzi. And interviewing Al is Rebecca Hubbard, and she is the Director of Outreach, Prevention, and Education for Mental Health Association Oklahoma. And today, they're going to be talking about this phenomenal new support group for mental health professionals. And this support group will start Monday, June 22nd. It will meet at 7 p.m. every Monday evening. It is for mental health professionals for support and consultation. And you can sign up by going to mhaok.org forward slash support groups and filling out the web form or calling our Mental Health Assistance Center at 918-585-1213 or 405-943-3700. Okay, let's get this conversation started. The Mental Health Download starts now. Al, welcome to the Mental Health Download. And really my first question is, you know, why did you want to facilitate this support group for mental health professionals like yourself? Well, my understanding is this is part of the COVID series that we're offering. I know some have been offered for uh, first responders, for essential workers, and for just community people in general. And the one group that was left out of that mix were our fellow mental health professionals who are going through all of this that everybody else is going through. We have a coronavirus pandemic, and more recently, the killing of George Floyd and all of the other incidents related to police brutality and civil unrest. We have an election looming here in November, which is causing people a lot of angst. And even this Saturday, we have the president coming to the BOK Center. And I can't tell you how many people have said to me they're so distressed about that because they expect a big spike in COVID as a result of so many more thousands of people descending on Tulsa, most of whom probably won't be wearing masks, by the way. And so there's a lot of anxiety and concern that we had in the beginning of this uh, pandemic, but it's been now tripled, in my opinion, because of all of what's been going on since uh, mid-March. You know, there are two kinds of coping. Susan Folkman talked about this years ago, and I've always liked her research, but she talks about problem-focused coping and emotion-focused coping. And both are necessary at different times for different reasons. So when this epidemic pandemic first hit, we were all very much engaged in problem-focused coping. What can I do to be safe, right? So we all sheltered at home. We kind of isolated ourselves, even from loved ones outside of the people we were quarantining with. Uh, It was very challenging, but we were all engaged in problem-focused coping. How to stay safe. What Groceries, how do I get groceries? Do I order them online and have them delivered or go pick them up? Or do I dare venture into a store to shop? We all have different degrees of risk tolerance. So I had to find out what mine were, how my my risk tolerance was. And of course, it was very low. So we, Renee and I have really sheltered in place quite a bit. We're only now beginning to experiment with takeout food from restaurants that we know and trust real well. So we've been very careful. So 
very focused on problem focused coping but the more you stay sheltered in place the more isolated you are you have to deal with the attendant emotions that are the result of that that sense of isolation and separation from loved ones or even just your friends you know who you can't really see except maybe during a zoom meeting like this which of course i love because at least i get to see faces but we're all figuring out a way to cope with our emotions in this process as well because it's been very challenging for people uh, that and just all of the, the fear the sadness the depression and even more recently now with uh, the killing of george floyd our anger about everything going on in the world around us so uh, we are not immune from that as mental health professionals. I am not immune from that. And so I have to take care of myself just like all mental health professionals do to make sure we can serve others effectively. Yeah, well, I can definitely echo everything that Al has shared here today, problem-focused and then recognizing needing to be emotion-focused, processing through all of those and kind of the gamut of emotions that we've gone through from fear to concern to anger and frustration to sadness and grief. I've shared recently with my family how everything feels a bit dichotomous, even my own emotions. I am overwhelmed, but I'm hopeful. I'm fearful, but I'm excited. I'm sad, but I'm also very just grateful. You know, and so there's everything that we've been going through has created this kind of dichotomy for me and all of my emotions. I, I can't think of a single emotion that I have that I don't have the other side as well. So I think for me, I think if I were attending this, that would be something that I would want help just kind of reconciling and also just to be able to hear other people share where they're at that can relate to, you know, kind of my people, right? So these, these are my people. There are times you walk into a room and go, these are my people. And that would be a time for me. That would be a, these are my people. And we would be able to communicate in a way, I think that um, is a little bit unique because of our perspectives, our personalities. It takes a certain type of personality to go into the mental health field. And I think there's a certain level of communication that goes on beyond just the words when you're together with people that are your people. Yeah. This is an opportunity for mental health professionals to let down their guard a little bit, to overcome whatever stigma they may have associated with any kind of emotional struggles. Everybody is going through emotional struggles right now. This virus and everything that's followed since has literally taken the wind out of our sails. Yeah. And it's important that we be able to at least confide in one another and share what we're going through and maybe even give each other some tips that we have found helpful. What are some of your tips, Al? Yeah, I, I think accepting the reality is one thing. I think we're all longing for a return to the good old days, to what we considered normal. But I think, I think we're facing a new normal now that we're going to have to adjust to. You know, one of the signs of good mental health is your adaptability to be able to adapt to changing circumstances. Well, we're dealing with a very changing circumstance right now. We're uncertain about what's gonna happen next. And most of us have trouble with that kind of ambiguity. We like our lives to be ordered, structured, we like to plan everything out. Now we start every week wondering, okay, what next? All of this then leads to a kind of anxiety that we have. And anxiety and mood, as we know, are closely related. So if you're anxious, you're more likely to be sad or depressed. 
they they're kind of together in so many ways. I think the, one of the keys for me is to be mindful of what I'm experiencing, to be mindful of what I'm feeling and not judge it. To know when I'm on the anxiety bus and to know when to pull the cord to get off it. And that's both a form of emotion-focused coping, but also problem-focused coping. So we've got to be able to take you know, the bull by the horns at times, meaning our own emotions, and figure out how to manage them. We all have different ways of doing that, but there are all kinds of options out there. Rather than avoid our emotions, which I'm afraid too many mental health professionals do, because they're seeing their clients now primarily via telehealth, and some were brave in going back into the office, but that's creating all sorts of new anxieties, which we're going to talk about in our group, I imagine. Because people are probably experiencing the anxiety now. What happens when I go back to the group? What happens when insurance companies quit reimbursing for telehealth? Well, so a lot of people are worried about that. You know, rather than avoid our emotions, validate them. You know, this is a time when what you're feeling, anxiety, fear, grief, anger, are really, really not just normal, but acceptable. Mm -hmm. It's almost unacceptable not to feel some of those things from time to time. It's like, right. what's wrong with you? If you're human, you're gonna feel these things now because this is, this is kind of a historical trauma we're all living through every day. You know, rather than avoid our emotions, validate them, accept them, control what we can control. And let go of control when we can't control something. We don't know where this virus is going to go next. We have no control over that. As difficult as it may be, we're going to have to accept that. I think it's helpful sometimes to seek constancy when we're faced with so much uncertainty and inconstancy in any way you can. I mean, nature is one way. I, I was just uh, exchanging with a colleague on Facebook who has horses and that's how she gets her comfort. She interacts with her horses every day. And I can hardly think of anything more calming than what she experiences. And I'm, I'm a city, city guy. I only saw, saw horses, you know, police officers in Central Park growing up. That was it. <laughs> I never saw horses except when I watched Roy Rogers or something like that on TV. So, yeah, but I can imagine just looking at how the natural beauty of horses, how, how that would be calming and soothing. So seeking constancy through nature, through some kind of structure in your life, you know, meal times might be important. And then connect with your own sense of self. Who am I? The world may be changing around me, but there's some constancy in who I am, what I believe, and what I value. And never forgetting that as a way of anchoring all of this turmoil into your identity, who you are, and continue being who you are. You know, building mastery over things you never had mastery of before, like telehealth. I never did telehealth before. And now I've got this whole system where I'm doing electronic record keeping and billing and charging of fees. And I've learned all of this in the last month and launched my, relaunched my private practice via telehealth exclusively literally two weeks ago. And I have to say, I've learned a lot and I'm enjoying it. I'm starting to actually enjoy it. But I, I tend to be a guy, and this helps too, that looks for silver linings. And I think we have to be looking for serendipity whenever, wherever we can find it. You know, what's the, what's the good? What's the silver lining? What's, what's positive and what's going on here that feels so negative? 
And I think that it's like what you were saying earlier, Rebecca, how you have a myriad of feelings from positive to negative. You can go from being down and depressed and feeling lonely, and then all of a sudden, wow, you're energized by something new and different. Those are the kinds of things that help me. That and continuing to practice compassion for others, as well as self-compassion at a time like this, we need it. For me also, walking, exercise, you would never know it by looking at me, but I do lift weights. <laughs> Nothing serious. I, I do some weightlifting just because it helps me feel stronger. And feeling stronger when emotionally you're drained and exhausted and fatigued can really help capture that feeling of vulnerability. Good sleep hygiene helps. Eating healthy if we can. You know, I try not to eat too many sweets, but I do have a sweet tooth, so I just very small amounts you know, just to give me a little joy from time to time. Taking care of our own needs. You know, Maslow's hierarchy is of needs. We learned that it was a hierarchy, right? right? At the very lower level of development, you had your physiological needs, your basic needs at the very top, self-actualization. Well, yeah, except now, we're going, it's more like a circle of needs, not a hierarchy of needs, right? We're constantly recycling between our physiological needs. What am I going to have for dinner, right? What are we going to prepare for dinner? How are we going to get the food? So we're knee deep in that, meeting our physiological or, or material needs, and our safety needs are huge now. You know, it's not just we pass that level in our development, now safety needs are of paramount importance. I mean, some people are blowing it off. I get that. I try not to be around too many people like that because they're probably not wearing masks and they're not going to keep me safe because they don't feel this is a big deal. Well, for me, it's a big deal, so I act accordingly. So safety needs are important. Um, our emotional needs, that's very important too through all this, to still feel connected to people even if we can't hug them right now. You were talking there about all of our needs and how we're kind of hitting, we're in a circle and we're, we're hitting all of those needs at once. And then on top of it, mental health professionals are trying to be there for their clients and while they're meeting their needs. And so it really can be kind of this compounding process. And you know, you and I, we serve on some committees together and, and there was one day that I, I got a little teary eyed saying that, you know, all I wanted to do is hug my mom and dad. And you validated that. You know, you, you said, okay, everybody stop, basically. I mean, you didn't say that, but more or less, you said, hang on, Rebecca, you just said something really valuable right there. And you validated that. And that meant so much to me. And I think that, you know, we know as mental health professionals that we need to take care of ourselves. We are in tune, usually, somewhat, at least, to our emotions. We know, we know all the things because we're teaching it all, every day, all day to our clients, right? Sometimes it's hard to do it, but we know it. And I think, you know, coming to support group, that's the kind of thing that helps us remember to do it. We need those interactions. We need those owl moments where he's saying, hey, yeah, I hear you. I see you. I see that pain. And, and it's validated because if we don't feel that our emotions are validated, then they kind of become this, this kind of like ball inside of us that just keeps spinning yeah. around, right? And, and is not really ever seen on the outside. It's just in there spinning. And it's amazing how much just having someone validate that emotion is so healing. It's yeah. so healing. And so as you reach out and you said, you know, let's help the helpers, which I think is, 
the most beautiful way to put this opportunity. We are trying to help the helpers. What are your hopes as you help the helpers, as you open up a space for them to come in? What do you hope for? What, how do you help hope to help the helpers? Well, first, I, I want everyone to know this is not a therapy group, not just to remove the stigma, but also because that's not what it's going to be. Uh, it's going to be a support group where we support each other. It's going to be a consultation group where I'm not the only consultant. Everybody's going to be consulting with everybody else. So it's going to be a, a, a true, genuine sharing experience, 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 sharing our resources, sharing our knowledge, sharing our feelings, our experiences, uh, our struggles, and our successes. And I think that's what we need. I need that as a practitioner right now. And I'm sure everyone would benefit from that if they took the time to do it. And it could be a fluid thing. There may be some people that want to come every single week. There may be some that come a couple of times and then come back again later. You know, I do a support group for parents of transgender children and teen at the Equality Center. And I've done that for 10 years now. And it's fluid too. You know, we have regulars that come every time because they feel like they get so much out of it. But it's not just what they get out of it as parents. It's what they give to other parents. And it's the same thing with, with this group. We're no different. We're just people. And once we accept that, then what we share can be as acceptable as anything our clients share with us. Yeah. But again, this is a support group. Uh, it's a consultation group. I'm not the therapist. I'm in there to help get things going and make this happen and facilitate as best I can and facilitate everyone's inclusion as best I can. Mm -hmm. so there'll be some ground rules, you know, I mean, there'll be some things like, you know, share what you have to share and then let other people share too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you have something very private and ethical matter that you want to consult with me about, if that's something someone would like to do, because I've taught ethics for you know, 40 years almost mm -hmm. uh, at OSU, then they could, you know, email me separately or contact me in some way or call me. I'd be happy to do a phone consult or to make myself available as a consultant if it was something they felt they wanted to share with me privately. Mm -hmm. So I'm willing to do that, too. Uh, and, you know, this is the luxury, I guess, of me having retired from OSU in June of 2019. And, you know, I'm still seeing clients now. I'm seeing all my clients via telehealth. And I still do workshops and presentations, as you know, every now and then. But I have time to give, and I'm just not done serving or giving yet. And what better group to support than my own colleagues? You know, and many of them may be former students who know me and may feel comfortable with my facilitating the group. Uh, or may not, but I, I think most who know me know that I will be validating and supportive, just like you felt when I talked to you in our group. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said about everybody coming to the table is bringing something. I very much take that same approach, you know, and to me, those are the most lucrative, productive, supportive, healing environments that you can find because there's just this camaraderie and togetherness, right? as we walk through a journey together in, in a process and each has their own journey, but also together as a group or as a flow between people, you know, we're, we're, you know, as well as I do, when we do human, human research, you know, human behavior research, it's, 
very fluid. It's not your, you know, if you light the paper on fire, it will burn out into ashes kind of experience. It's not cause and effect. It is, you know, we can only be correlative. But the beauty of that on the flip side is when we're engaged with each other, there is this fluidity that just flows back and forth. And I was so excited when you reached out about this and said you wanted to help the helpers because I, I very much feel that flow between you and I and, and Matt and I and, and our other peers as we work together. There's a support and a flow that just happens because we're in it together. We're just we're just there and in it together. Can you speak to mental health professionals who are people of color and how that would change, you know, what, what advice you would give to them in regard to COVID, but also, as you mentioned, death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmed Arbery and everything going on with our world. Uh, what considerations should they be taking for their own self-care? Well, you know, as you know, we, there's enough data out there to suggest that um, people of color are more at risk of contracting COVID-19, and that's a concern that they need to be alert to. For those of us who are more at risk, we need to pay attention to that and balance a sense of our own invincibility, which of course is ridiculous and juvenile, you know. Somehow we have to find that place where, where our risk tolerance is and be mindful of where we feel safe and where we don't and try to avoid situations where we don't feel safe. Our safety means something. And I think what's been going on recently, you know, at first for a couple of months, the pandemic was in the foreground of our own consciousness, in the news, et cetera, right? Since the killing of George Floyd, there is this, that's become foreground. And then for a while, it seems like the pandemic was in the background. And now they're both occupying kind of the same space. Uh, and it's just compounded the stress, I think, on all of us, but I think particularly people of color. Uh, the truth is the concerns about police brutality and killing of, of black people was always in the foreground for them, I'm right. sure. But for, for many of us who are not black, the pandemic assumed foreground until the thing with George Floyd came and then whammo, that became our foreground as well. Yeah, there may be particular issues that come up if we have people in our group who are therapists of color. I, I, my whole position is to take a position of cultural humility. I want to hear from them. I want to know what they're feeling. Uh, if it's similar and different from what I and anybody else in the group is feeling, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna compare notes, right? That's the beauty of, we all learn from each other. We who are not people of color will learn from those who are. We'll all learn from each other. I agree completely. You know, people of color really have been living in a collective cultural trauma their entire yeah. existence. And healing really has an opportunity, hopefully, to take place as we take our baby steps forward. It's going to take a long time to change the way that things have been and to find a new normal. It's interesting and curious to me that here we are, all of us kind of facing these new normals and these processes that, we, you know, we just didn't anticipate. Of course, you never do anticipate pandemic or racial injustices, although some may anticipate those after all of their experiences. I'm wondering what 
kind of, I know you're going to be completely inclusive and accepting, but I see, I see a lot of times, sometimes mental health professionals that are nervous about being transparent. Like I, I really admire you and value you because you're very transparent at the beginning of this discussion, you're very open, very transparent about what your experiences have been. And I think that's such a beautiful role model for us. But there are some out there that maybe they're in a competitive setting or maybe they're in a setting that they're afraid if it gets back to their employer, they're going to be in trouble. For mental health professionals that are out there and struggling, and probably not saying it out loud, but in their head, they're thinking, I really want to go, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid that someone will judge me. I'm afraid that someone will say something that I said and take it out of context, that kind of thing. What would you say to that person if you were able to see that they were struggling and fearful of coming? Well, the first thing I would address, the first group meeting, in fact, in every group meeting, because there may be different people coming each time, is I would talk about the norm of confidentiality in the group, that what is shared in the group stays in the group, that no one is to do anything harmful to any other member during or after the group or between group sessions. Every single participant in that group is a mental health professional, and that's their duty to do no harm, whether it's their clients or their colleagues, do no harm, okay? And so that's gonna be the norm I will get everybody to agree to before we even start. Uh, is there absolute control that somebody in there might not hurt somebody else? There's no way to control that, but my responsibility as the convener of the group would, to, would be to establish that as a norm that everybody buys into and accepts. All of our groups have been that. They've been such a healing and beautiful experience. I attended our coping with trauma from racial injustice last night, and it was one of the most phenomenal experiences I've ever had. Uh, we really have a unique opportunity to come together with our, our people, with other people that are like-minded, that are like-hearted, and to, to take that risk, you know, as Brene Brown says, to take that risk to be vulnerable, right? Yeah. So that we can we can grow and we can expand and we can overcome. You know, really, if we're not willing to take that first step of vulnerability, you're kind of stuck, right? You're only you're only as sick as your secrets. Yeah. So if you're keeping things inside that, and, and you know, you know as well as I do, mental health professionals carry a pretty heavy burden, you know. They give space for people's trauma and hurt and, and, and emotional turmoil and mental challenges and relational, sometimes relational catastrophes, you know, and we give space for that. And then we go home and we, you know, we shift gears, right? We, we take that hat off and we become mom or dad or brother or sister or, you know, friend. And sometimes it's kind of hard. Sometimes we kind of halfway wear that hat in the, in the other roles as well. And I think we're providing a very unique opportunity here for people to come and let it be about them and about their journey. Yeah, we experience a lot of vicarious trauma, those of us who serve people like we do. And we kind of absorb that into our very being, sometimes into our bodies, literally. And we start dragging with exhaustion after, you know, absorbing our clients' stress and anxiety and depression. And you're right, we have no place to take that to. If we take it home, we can't really talk to our spouse about details of anything that went on. We can get support or a hug and that might help, but we can't really process it fully. 
So one of the things I learned that was so valuable for me is after the bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma Psychological Association put out a call for psychologists to volunteer to help, to be Red Cross volunteers. And I did. I stepped up and I went to Oklahoma City for several days in the aftermath of the bombing. And uh, I got trained to serve on and did serve on the death notification team. Well, you can imagine how much grief and um, just emotional turmoil you absorb when you're sitting there with a family who's being told for the first time that their loved one was killed in that bombing. Mm -hmm. It was traumatic for them. And and you sit there and you're trying to be focused on them but all of that grief, we internalize to some extent as, as well. And so what we did there was something that the Red Cross did in all the years past, and I'm sure they still do it, is we, after we left the family, after notifying them of a loved one's death, we adjourned to another room and we went through debriefing. And one of our colleagues, not in our team, but maybe served another team, would be the debriefer. And I know that because I was both the debriefer and the debriefed. And that was so healing to talk to our colleagues, people who knew what it was like for us, because they also served on death notification teams, to talk about what we experienced, what we felt, what it was like when we felt powerless when we felt helpless, vulnerable in that situation. And it was a wonderful experience. So this can be like that in a sense, that this is an opportunity for mental health professionals to come and get debriefing when they need it after a tough session. So as we wrap up here, Al, I do have one last question for you. As you know, the Zero Mental Health Symposium, which you play a pivotal role in planning, is coming up September 30th through October 2nd. It's going to be three days, and it's going to be completely virtual this year. And you can get all the details at zerosymposium.org. So, Al, what are you looking forward to about this year's symposium, which the theme is Healing from Historical Trauma? Well, first of all, it couldn't be more timely. It was timely before, just because next year is the 100th year anniversary of the massacre uh, of Black, on Black Wall Street. That's a big deal. That was, that was what we were focused on when we came up with this idea, right? We didn't know there was going to be all these other things going on, not only COVID, which is its own kind of historical trauma that we're all going through experiencing, albeit to different degrees, Obviously, people with fewer resources are suffering more than those with more resources. We know that. So it's not the same experience. It's all different, but it's still hard for in different kinds of ways to, to varying degrees. But then all what happened just you know, very recently with George Floyd and everyone's reaction to it, you know, the, the country is in turmoil. And we're all dealing with a kind of, we're all living through historical trauma right now. So that topic could not be more timely. All right. So the tradition here at the Mental Health Download is that we ask our guests to give us a bit of wisdom and then close us out with our rallying cry, which is be a part and go do good things. So Al, take it away. You know, for my fellow mental health professionals, we're all struggling. We're not alone. 
we in the Mental Health Association have always been here for you. We're going to be here for you again now and in the future. This is just one way we're offering to be with you through this difficult time. Be a part and go do good things.